And um, uh, just one of my privileges is uh, part of uh, leading Catalyst, which is the family of churches that we're part of, is to be able to just talk and to connect with people around the world, just to hear what God's doing and to see what he's up to. And particularly has encouraged me during this uh, really tough season that we've been in, just to hear actually the, the Lord is on the move. He's doing stuff. And just one story I wanted to share with you is um, uh, from the team in, in uh, Hull. They're planting a church up there in Hull. And um, a lady, uh, they have a food bank, and the night before they were praying as a team about this food bank, and a lady had a word of knowledge. She felt the Lord wanted to hear someone, heal someone with a, one, with a deaf ear, who was deaf in one ear. And um, so the team prayed about it. The next day uh, at the food bank sure, bank, sure enough, this guy turns up um, uh, with, uh, uh, who was deaf in one ear, and um, Kathy got to pray with him. And let me just uh, pop a little video on the screen, and you can hear her tell the story. So I touched his ear and he had his mask on and um, when he'd come in they were so wet because it was raining he'd wiped his face uh, with his hanky like older gentlemen do and so his forehead was dry and as I was praying he just started to sweat and beads of perspiration came on his brow and uh, I was praying away and I just took my hand away and I said how are you feeling Tony he said I'm feeling on fire my forehead I'm really sweating and I said how's your room and he said it's all right. It's, it's feeling all right. I said, can I carry on praying? He said, yes. I put it back. I prayed again and he was really choked. And he put his hand over his left ear and um, he said, talk to me. So I spoke to him and really, really tearfully, he said, I can hear. And he took his hand away and he said, I can hear hair, meaning Joe. He said, I can hear the, the cars outside. He said, and I can hear you. And I was really cool. I was like, I'm, I'm not a cool person, obviously. <laughs> but out on the outside, I just went, good. And inside, I was like, oh, thank God. Brilliant. Just love that story. So good, isn't it? Just to see God touching lives. And it hooks into the question I want us to look at today, which is this. How does Jesus plan to change the world? How does Jesus plan to change the world? That's one guy's story of how his life was uh, touched by Jesus. But how did Jesus plan to change the world? And I want us to, as we continue looking at this Gospel of Mark, that we've been looking at together, one of the earliest accounts of Jesus and his life, uh, written by one of Jesus' earliest followers. And uh, Mark up until now has been uh, showing us what Jesus was planning to do, because Jesus comes declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. And then uh, he shows us how Jesus begins that. And Jesus begins by recruiting four fishermen. Bit unusual. You're not sure you'd start by this new kingdom work with uh, four fishermen, but Jesus does that. And then he recruits a, a, a leper. He uh, gets a, a leper's healed and he kind of joins in. And then there's a paralyzed guy. Uh, he gets healed and he joins in this ragtag group that Jesus is uh, starting to collect in this new kingdom. It's quite surprising. But then for those who are around at the day, it gets even more surprising, even shocking, because we get to read this story in Mark chapter 2, which is Jesus' encounter with a tax collector. Now, just to set the scene for those who don't know, many of you will, I'm sure, but for those who don't know, tax collectors uh, basically had betrayed their nation. They were Jews who were working for the Roman Empire, and they were working, collecting taxes, and often skimming off the top, making themselves very wealthy whilst they betrayed their own people. The Romans were occupying Israel at the time, and the Jews who became tax collectors were the ultimate betrayers. So it is quite surprising for Jesus to engage with a tax collector in the way that he does. So let's pick up this story. We're going to read it together, pop it on the screen for us. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was reaching, he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what he was that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, says to his disciples, "Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, "Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners." What I've learned to love to do is just to read the scripture again in a different version. So we'll read it this time from the New Living Translation. And let's just let these words penetrate into our hearts. Then Jesus went out into the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? So as we look at this question of how does Jesus plan to change the world, I want us to, to use the four questions that we've become familiar with using, four questions that actually help us to op open up any passage of scripture. Uh, and we can use these either on our own or in groups, or even if we're studying the Bible or opening the scriptures with someone who isn't yet a follower of Jesus. Four great questions that we can uh, look at. And the first is this, what does it tell us about God? What does this passage tell us about God? And remember that the, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So what it tells us about Jesus is what it tells us about God. And the first thing that stands out to me is this. Jesus is not looking for perfect people. There is no perfect people allowed. He is not looking for perfect people. So often when people encounter church or encounter uh, things of religion in quotes, what they, what they feel like on the inside is that God wants perfect people. He wants people who are perfect. And that's what he's looking for. And this uh, passage tells us exactly the opposite of that, doesn't it? It says that while Levi is in the middle of his sin, he's in his worst, at his lowest point, he's in the middle of doing the very thing that should mean he's disqualified, is at that point that Jesus calls him. Romans 5 verse 18 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I've sat with countless people, sat with them, countless people who felt the same way. They felt like they were disqualified. But it was actually as they began to realise the grace of God, they began to realise that Jesus came for them in the midst of the worst things that they had done. You see, it's only until you've got to that point when you realise actually Jesus wants you even not, not, not despite your sin, but because of your sin, he's come for you. That's the reason that he's come is because you are lost in your sin. Best uh, illustration of this is from our friend Mark Marks, who uh, was out one day on the streets um, praying for people. It was uh, no one wanted to talk to him that day. It was pouring with rain, and he uh, eventually found a homeless guy sitting by the side of the street. And as he's sitting with this this guy, um, the guy was absolutely um, uh, smashed out of his face on alcohol. And uh, Mark said, "Look, can I pray for you?" So he starts to pray for this guy, and as he does, he, the guy pukes up, draw down Mark's front and down his back. And, and as he um, uh, just walks away from that encounter, he's like, Lord, what was that all about? What, what? I mean, that just that whole afternoon, what was that about? He's walking back, he's covered in vomit, he stinks himself now. And the Lord said to him, I wanted you to smell what sin smells like to me. You see, our sin, our brokenness is a stench to God. 
And yet in that place, in that state, Jesus came for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not just the sins we've done, it's also the sins done to us. What drove Levi to this tax collector's world? What drove him? If you looked in his eyes and sat at his booth, what, why was he there? Why was he there facing the, the rejection of his own people? Well, maybe, maybe it was greed, but maybe it was because he'd already been rejected. Maybe he'd already been so rejected that another load of rejection didn't really make much difference to himself. He might as well have thought, well, I might as well get rich in the process. We don't know what drives people to sin, but very often it's the sin that's done to him. That doesn't, doesn't make them uh, not responsible for that sin, but it does explain why Jesus comes for us. He, he seeks us out, not, even, not just because of our own sin and not even in the midst of our own sin, but in the midst of the sin that's been done to us. When we feel the most ashamed, when we feel the most lost, when we feel the most broken, Jesus came for us. He's not looking for perfect people. And that's the first part of the answer to this question of how Jesus is planning to change the world. He's not planning to change it with perfect people. He's planning to change it with people like you and I, people who recognize they're in need of Jesus. The second thing that stands out to me from this passage, what does it tell us about God, is Jesus never leaves people the same. He is not looking for people to say a quick prayer at the end of a meeting. He's looking for disciples who will follow Listen to his voice and follow him. That's what he says to Levi, isn't it? Come, follow me. And Levi literally leaves behind his tax booth. He can never go back after this moment. He's looking for people not to put a hand up at the end of a meeting, but who will radically follow him because he's looking to leave us, to to, to transform us, to change us. Jesus changes people when he encounters them. Levi gets it. He understands that. And the problem is many people want to, to, to make their own version of Jesus. They want to uh, take their Bible and chop out the bits about Jesus that they don't like and create this new version of Jesus, a Jesus that looks like them, a Jesus that's palatable to them. The problem is Jesus won't allow us to do that because what we know about Jesus is found in the scriptures. So which bits are you going to chop out? What we know about Jesus, the depth and the richness of this this person we see in Jesus, we find in his word. He describes himself and reveals himself. So which bits are you going to chop out? Because the reality is every culture has got bits of the Bible they don't like. Every culture's got bits about Jesus they don't like, that they get offended by. In our culture, we we like the Jesus who uh, cares for the poor. We love that part of Jesus because he cares for the poor and, and he reaches into the world of the poor. We love that part about Jesus. But we don't like the Jesus who wants to talk about our sexuality. And we're like, whoa, Jesus, you know, we'll do the poor bit, but let's not do that bit. What right have you got to talk about that? You know, but, but there are other cultures. They would absolutely agree with Jesus on human sexuality. No issues whatsoever. But for them... Well, the poor just are getting what they deserve. They probably sinned in a previous life and, uh, and this is karma working its way out. And actually, if I help the poor, I'm actually robbing them of their, uh, of the, of their um, uh, out working out this karma. Oh, it'll actually make their next life worse when they're reincarnated. They're, they're happy with what Jesus said about sexuality, but they reject Jesus because of what he says about the poor. You see, every culture's got something about Jesus that offends them, something in this book that they want to chop out. But Jesus is not looking for people who say, hey, Jesus, come join with me. He's looking for people who respond to his call. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. 
Jesus is not looking to fit in with us. He's looking for us to fit in with him. That's how he's going to change the world. Not with the people who chop and change Jesus to look like him, but by people who radically leave their tax booths behind and say, Jesus, we are following you. The third thing that stands out to me about this passage, what it teaches us about God through the person of Jesus is the fact that he's willing to lose his reputation to save those with no reputation. In Jesus' day, a man or woman's reputation was the most valuable thing that they had. To, to, to some extent, it's still there's the same in other shame and honour cultures uh, uh, where shame and honour are the things that drive the societal decisions. Many would rather die than lose face. Many would rather die than lose face. Uh, wars have been fought and sacrifices made. People have lost their lives rather than be shamed. That still happens today. But Jesus, even in a shame and honour culture, is willing to risk the loss of his own reputation, to eat with those that others call scum because of something greater. It's not that reputation is not important, but Jesus has seen something that's greater. It's the lives of these lost ones. He's willing to lose his reputation to save those with no reputation. Now, in our culture, reputation's important, but I think there may be other things that are more important to us. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's even happiness. Maybe that's the thing that's the highest. I mean, if you ask most, you went to to the high street in uh, Bedford, Milton Keynes, or any of the towns around and said, hey, ask the parent, what would you like for your children? I can tell you, I reckon 99 out of 100 would say, I want them to be happy. Maybe it's happiness. But whatever it is for us, the question that Jesus provokes us about is this. Are we willing to follow him and lay down that thing in order to reach those that he's calling us to? This is a provocation, isn't it? Jesus is willing to lay down his reputation. What are we willing to lay down to follow him? What does it tell us about people? Those are a few things that jump out to me. What does it, what does it tell us about God? Sorry, what does it tell us about people? The second question. What does it tell us about people? What does this passage enlighten us about people? Well, well the, the first thing is this. We love to justify ourselves. We love to justify ourselves. Jesus said, I've not come for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know they are sinners. The world is full of those who think they are right. You look at YouTube or social media and you'll see exactly that. Everyone justif- justifying themselves and seeking to condemn others. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says this though, there is a path before each person that seems right, but its end is death. Jesus' simple message to the Pharisees is you're not going to receive eternal life by justifying yourself. In fact, it's the opposite. It's those who refuse to justify themselves. It's those who say, Jesus, you're right and I'm not. It's those who say, Jesus, I need a saviour. Our desire is to justify ourselves. And that's what it tells us about people, this passage. That's our natural bent. But Jesus is looking for those who refuse to justify themselves and instead choose the path of life. In the same way you can't get help from a doctor, Jesus says, unless you admit you need that help. There's no cure available to you. Jesus is saying, the cure I've got for something far deeper, the cure for your soul, 
the cure to rescue the, you from eternal death, the cure of eternal life. I can only give it to those who admit they need it. If you don't admit you need it, you can't have it. First thing that stands out to me is that we love to justify ourselves. And the second thing is this, the good news of Jesus travels best through natural relationships. Notice this uh, guy Levi's response to Jesus. Once he is believed, he immediately wants to share Jesus with those around him. He immediately throws a party and invites in his friends who were what? People like him, tax collectors, sinners. That's the only people who would hang out with him. And so he gathers them and that's the setting for this story. People naturally connect together in networks of relationships whether that's based on common need or common cause or or any other number of uh, ways that people connect. And this story tells us something about people, and it's this, the good news of Jesus flows best through those relationships. Who better to reach someone who's homeless than someone who themselves was homeless? Who better to reach addicts than someone who themselves was once an addict? Who better to reach builders than someone who themselves is a builder or was a builder? We're designed to share good news with the natural relationships that he's put us part of. And we see that again and again in the life of Jesus. Natural relationships as a bridge to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Lepers, Samaritans, tradespersons, people from the court of the king, the Herod of this day, We see the gospel flowing through these natural relationships. Our video at the beginning was another example, a relationship that's formed around a food bank, people needing food and also people giving food. People who care about people who haven't got enough food. They form these relationships and it's in that place that the gospel begins to flow. So the third thing that we need to, the third question that helps us as we look at these passages. Firstly, what does it teach us about God? Secondly, what does it teach us about people? Thirdly, what do I need to do? What do I need to do as a result of looking at this passage? And of course, we have to understand that we don't do to earn God's favour. That was the point I was making. God, Jesus has come for us before we could do anything. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's nothing we can add to what he's already done. We don't do to earn God's favour, but we do, we obey because we love him. We, we build on that foundation and we say, Jesus, as a response to what you have done, I want to follow you, I want to obey you, I want to serve you. So to, given that, a lens on obedience what do we then need to do as we look at this passage just take a moment to reflect what do these verses spark in you maybe your do is something to believe maybe your do is to believe that Jesus has come for you and to meditate this day or this week over the fact that you haven't got to hide that sin anymore Jesus came for you in your sin He's come for you. He's come to rescue you. You haven't got to get yourself perfect before he'll accept you. He came for you as you are. Maybe your do is to count the cost. It's to think about the cost of following Jesus. Am I willing to pay the price on my relationship, my comfort, even my happiness, either temporarily or permanently? Am I willing to pay the price to follow Jesus, to risk that thing in order to reach those who don't know Christ. Maybe that is the do at the moment is for you is not to do anything but to count the cost. Maybe 
it's something different to that. Maybe your do is to think about the natural relationships that God's calling you to. I was hearing just a couple of weeks ago from a couple who I was speaking at a, at a meeting some years ago. As part of it, I think it was a throwaway comment, I said, who is going to reach those who are lost to sex trafficking in the UK? And at the end of the meeting, that couple responded and felt, this is what God's calling us to. We're not part of this network at all at the moment, but we want to find a way in. And they did, and they started a charity now and have helped many, many women come out of uh, the se- be resettled into homes, into families, as they've come out of being sex trafficked. Maybe the do for you is to start to think about the natural relationships that God's put you in, or the relational networks that you think, I've got a passion to see people come to Christ in those networks. What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it as a response to reading these verses? And then lastly, who can you share it with? That's the fourth question that's brilliant to ask ourselves as we look at these verses or any verses. Who can we share it to? Who can we share it with? You know, part of becoming disciples you multiply is taking God's word and learning to share it with others. Learning to multiply. Is there someone who needs to hear this story. You might want to be sitting down with a Bible, that might be too much, but you could just tell them the story verbally. Just say, hey, I was listening to this story this week and it really provoked me. I've always thought that Jesus was looking for perfect people and I've suddenly realized he's not. I don't know, is there someone that you think you could share this story with? It's so powerful, isn't it, just to look at the words of Jesus, to look at what he's calling us to, to look at who he is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came for people like me. You came for us that we were lo- as we were lost in our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a message that can multiply through our natural relationships. We thank you, Jesus, for the story of Levi and for the pr- profound effect that your presence had on this life. I just pray for everyone who's watching this, that you will be speaking to each one and there'll be a clear next step for them. In your mighty name, amen. Thanks so much for listening.